Uh, well, uh, for any of you who may be uh, new or, uh, or have not been around the last few weeks, uh, we're in the middle of a series called WWJD, and, uh, which is why all of our stuff is very 90s, uh, because that's when they came out, right? We had the bracelets and everything. In fact, if, you, if you'd like a, a new WWJD bracelet for your collection, uh, there's a bucket on our Welcome Center this morning. Feel free to grab one. Uh, but we've been talking about what would Jesus do? Uh, and just walking through, what, what sorts of things did Jesus do? And so last week, uh, we talked about Jesus making disciples. And we, we talked about how disciples and fishermen are alike and how some of their traits, uh, a lot of their traits uh, overlap each other and work together. So this week, uh, we're in Luke chapter 5, and this passage will sound pretty familiar uh, because it's, the, uh, it's uh, another passage we used last week. Uh, Luke 5. Verses 1 through 11. All right, so if you've got your Bibles or your Bible apps or, your, or our church app, uh, Luke 5, 1 through 11, and this is what it says. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. All right, so WWJD, what would Jesus do? Uh, my hope in this series is that you have a pretty general idea already of what Jesus does. Uh, we have this great uh, sort of blessing in the U.S. That, that most people you meet have probably at least heard of Jesus. Uh, now, that, I think, is both a blessing and a curse, because sometimes the things we hear about Jesus are not accurate about Jesus, uh, which is kind of our heart behind this series. What does Jesus actually do? And so I'm hoping this drums up some like things you're remembering and, and some old thoughts of things you've learned, but I'm also hoping that you're learning something new. Uh, one of our one of Aaron and I's favorite channels uh, on, on Facebook is a guy who does these videos, of, and they're just called Things I Didn't Learn Until I Was in My 30s. And it was really simple things that you probably should have known way before you were in your 30s. But for this guy, he didn't learn them until he was in his 30s. And I feel like I have those moments all the time in my life. Things that I learn and I go, how did I not know that? Okay, a perfect example uh, is a story I'll share with you this morning. And uh, is my wife in here? No? She's in kids? Sweet. Uh, <laughs> good, good. Uh, so, so 
so last year, uh, our oldest, Evelyn, was in kindergarten. And, uh, and, you know, and they do all the fun stuff for holidays when you're in kindergarten. And so uh, Evelyn came home one week, and she was so thrilled to have learned that leprechauns were real. That's what, they learned, that's what she learned in school. So I kind of chuckled, and I, and I looked at Erin, and I said, should I tell her? And she says, don't you dare. Don't you dare. Okay. So the next week, the next week, uh, Evelyn gets sick. And so she has to stay home from school. And so Erin messages the teacher, and she says, hey, we need, uh, Aaron's, or, uh, Evelyn is sick. She's going to stay home. Uh, what can I work through with her today while she's home? And so the teacher comes back, and she says, no problem at all. We're starting a unit on narwhals today. And Aaron goes, <laughs> oh, like leprechauns, okay. And, uh, <clears throat> and so she says, now, Evelyn, we're going to learn, we're going to learn about a fictitious animal called a narwhal. So she starts looking them up online. And so I come home from work and the first thing I walk in the door and Aaron goes, did you know that narwhals are real? Now, I kid you not, I went, no, they're not. Is this like that leprechaun thing again? And she's like, no, look. And she has it on her phone. She's like, look, it's a giant tooth. It's the horn is a tooth. It's like a whale, but it's like a unicorn, right? So we're in our, I'm in my early thirties and I'm learning that narwhals are a thing, right? And my wife is learning that narwhals are a thing. And it was the funniest moment in our house because now uh, anytime uh, Aaron or I goof up or we say something that doesn't make sense or, or we don't know an answer to something, Evelyn, who's very smart alecky, she'll go, kind of like narwhals, huh? <laughs> so, so we are all <laughs> lifelong learners, all right? We're always learning things that we didn't know, that maybe we should have known. I don't know, maybe I was supposed to have known about narwhals before I was in my 30s, uh, maybe. Uh, but I'm learning, all right? And I'm learning. Uh, and so, so in our story today, in Luke chapter 5, uh, we, have, we have these people of God, and and this miracle that happens in this story is something new for them. Uh, it's something new, but it's also something that's been long awaited. And so, so I want to dig in a little bit at this story because you have these fishermen, the fishermen that we talked about last week, these fishermen that Jesus calls. And in, in some of the stories, it doesn't give you this whole context. It just says Jesus shows up and tells the fishermen to show up and, and then they come and boom, it's done. But in this one, we get more, more of the context. It says that Jesus picks this boat of Simon and he puts out a little bit from the shore and he sits down and he teaches people from the boat. So Jesus, Jesus has been teaching. We have no idea how long, but it says when he finished speaking, he tells Simon, put into deep water and let out the nets for a catch. Now, we don't know here what Jesus taught, right? But it was obviously, it was enough that Simon, first of all, calls him master, right? There's a respect that is earned in these moments when Jesus is teaching, when he's meeting with these people, there's a respect that is earned enough that Simon says, master, master, we, <laughs> we've worked hard all night, right? These are professional fishermen. We've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, right? Something Jesus said convinced him that if Jesus is telling me to go put out, there's something out there. Because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they had done so, it says they caught such a large number of fish, they had to call in a second boat, and they filled both boats. Now, I have to guess, okay, I, I, don't, I know very minimal about fishing uh, in that part of the world, because uh, I'm not a huge fisherman myself, but I can guarantee you that that is not normal. 
It's not normal to put down a net and fill, get so many fish that you fill two boats with the fish. And it says that when he saw this, when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and says, Go away from me, Lord. You see, his, his language changes. <laughs> I'm a sinful man. So he goes from master, which is you know just this term of respect, term of, of recognition of his wisdom, to Lord in two minutes. And it wasn't, it wasn't the teaching that got him there. It got him started on the right path. But what convinced him was the miracle of this catch of fish. That's why I say I know it wasn't normal. Because if that happened every day, he wouldn't have been impressed. <laughs> but he was so impressed by this miracle that Jesus had done that he calls him Lord. And these things, these, these miracles that Jesus does, he, he does so many of them. It, it, there are, there are uh, 38 uh, recorded, I don't know, that's not the right word I was looking for, but there's 38 miracles in the Gospels that, that are specific. It's it, Jesus healed this person or he, he, uh, he fed 5,000 people, right? That was one. So there's specific ones. And then there's all these passages, four or five at least, that just say Jesus came to town and he healed everybody. <laughs> Can you imagine being in those moments, right? Not just in a moment where, where Jesus heals one person, but where he comes to town and he just prays and heals people all day long. Anybody who comes, they all get healed. And these, these things, as much as they were new for people, right? Because so many times people would say things that like nobody speaks with such power. Or nobody, nobody else does these things. How could he be doing these things? Even the religious people, even they were amazed that these things were happening. But these things were predicted long ago. In Isaiah 35, verses 5 through 8, it says this. It says, Then will the eyes of the blind be opened, and the ears of the deaf, deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand will become a pool, the thirsty ground bubbling springs and a highway will be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It will be for those who walk on that way. All right, that's in Isaiah. That's hundreds of years before Jesus comes around. They say these amazing things are going to happen. And when John the Baptist is imprisoned uh, and he knows he's going to die, he sends someone to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Are you really, are you it? Or should I be looking for somebody else? And Jesus answers in Matthew 11. He says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. And the good news is proclaimed to the poor. See, the miracles were Jesus' answer to John. Which I love because Jesus almost never gives a direct answer. Right? He could have just said, yep. Are you the Messiah? Yep. But he doesn't. He says, let me, let me show you. Let me show you that I'm fulfilling all the things we've waited on. Because these are the things that the people of God waited on for years, for generations. They waited for this coming Messiah who would do these amazing things that couldn't be explained. These things that, that, that we couldn't even put words to sometimes. They waited and waited. And I think it's really cool that Jesus does these things. And I think most, most Christian people probably do too, right? We read the Gospels and we're like, wow, that's really awesome. Jesus did these cool things. He must really love people. 
But on Wednesday nights, uh, in the class that I'm teaching, we've been going through Jesus' last teaching moments with the disciples in John 13 through 17. And Jesus, he's, remember, he's at the end. So he's already done all of these miraculous things. He's healed. He's cast out demons. He's done all these crazy things. And he, he's at the very end, and he gives them this ridiculous promise. In John 14, he says this, Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. That's a ridiculous thing to say. All right, let's just, let's just be real this morning, all right? I think sometimes we, 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 I'm trying to find the right word here that doesn't sound blasphemous. Uh, we put, we put Jesus, we put him on this pedestal and we think everything he says is great, right? And, and this thing, the thing he's promising is great, but let's be honest, it's ridiculous, right? Jesus is saying, look, all this stuff you just saw me do, all these miracles, these people getting healed, laying on of hands and they're all better. He says, you're going to do all that stuff and even better things. It sounds ridiculous. But so often we read these words and we go, oh yeah, that's good. Yeah, Jesus said that must be good. But we don't think about what that means in our lives, right? We don't think about the fact that, that means that you and I are meant to do these things too. And even cooler things. I'm, I'm struck, uh, in the book of Acts, people were so uh, enamored, they were so amazed by the things that the disciples, the followers of Jesus were doing. They were so amazed that when Peter would come to town, they would line the streets and they were hoping his shadow would touch them. Because just maybe, just maybe his shadow would heal us. For many of you this morning, Hearing about Jesus doing miracles, and especially uh, that you're supposed to be doing them today, is something brand new. <laughs> it's something that you've maybe heard in some Pentecostal church somewhere, and you're like, ah, oh, that's not for me. But I always wonder in these moments, you know, when we, when we, when we automatically put stuff into a box, it's, it's usually our defense mechanism. We put it into a box so we don't have to worry about it. Because if I can put it into a box and say, well, that's not, that's not where I'm at then I don't have to explain how this scripture applies to my life. But we're trying to do the opposite this morning. We're trying to ask, what would Jesus do? And if Jesus is doing these miracles, he's praying for people, then what are we called to do? And what does that look like? And so this is probably something new for you. Uh, the church, the church a lot of times, the church, big C church, that's church universal everywhere. The church often doesn't teach on it <clears throat> because we can't explain it. We have no clue how this works. We have no clue why when we pray for somebody, they get better. We have no idea. And the church in the world as a whole, we like certainties and explanations. Right? Even, even when I was in seminary, in one of my classes, uh, and I think it was my preaching class, they said, you don't bring up something you can't answer. <laughs> don't bring up something you can't answer. But I'm going to bring this up this morning, even though I can't answer it. I can't tell you. I don't have an answer for why, why we pray for people, and some people get well immediately, some people get well in steps, some people uh, get well by going to the hospital, and some people never get well. I can't explain to you why it works that way. I have no clue. So there you go. There's my moment of confession for you this morning. 
I'm asking a question that I can't answer. But here's what I know. <clears throat> what I know is this, that in Scripture, the disciples prayed for people who were sick. In the early church, when you read about the works of Paul, when you read in the book of Acts, what you find is healing prayer, and especially prayer for healing by laying on of hands. In fact, it was a foundational teaching. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 6, it starts off with these words, verses 1 and 2. It says, therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine, the elementary stuff. This is the basics. This is the, like, you become a Christian, this is the first thing you should learn. Let us leave the elementary doctrines of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, of faith toward God, of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. So he gives this list. He says, these, these are the basic things that we, that we do and believe as, as Christians. He says, we repent from our sins. We have faith in God. We're baptized. We lay on of hands. And we talk about eternal life. These are the basics. <laughs> and yet, as we just talked about, how many of us, how many of us have never been told that we're supposed to pray for sick people? And to be fair, most of us do, right? And, and, and the way we do that is, is we, we put it on the prayer list and then we pray for them. When we remember, we pray for them from our homes or, or even at church. I, I pray from up here. We pray for them, right? But when, when it talks about laying on of hands, there's something that goes on when you pray in person. It's why I, I've done my best over the last couple of years of my life to move away from saying these words. Yeah, I'll pray for you. Because, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, let me throw this out, I'm not trying to make anybody feel guilty who says those things, right? Because honestly, when I tell you I'll pray for you, I do pray for you. But I've moved away from that and I've moved more toward, let me pray for you and I pray for them now. Because there's something about a laying on of hands. There's something about praying in that moment. It's the elementary teaching. And we find this uh, even in early church history. If you move into, there's a guy named Origen who lived between 185 and 253, right? So this is well after Jesus' time. It's early church. He says this. He says, There are still preserved among Christians traces of that Holy Spirit which appeared in the form of a dove. They expel evil spirits and perform many cures and foresee certain events according to the will of the word. And although Celsus or the, or the Jew whom he has introduced may treat with mockery what I'm going to say, I will say it nevertheless, that many have been converted to Christianity as if against their will, some sort of spirit having suddenly transformed their minds from hatred of the doctrine to a readiness to die in its defense and having appeared to them either in a waking vision or a dream of the night. He says, look, people are praying for the sick and they're getting better. And because of that, he said, it's, it's like their mind transforms overnight about how they feel about the gospel. There is this power, he says, and I love the way he words it because he says, there are still some among the Christians who believe in the Holy Spirit's power. And then for us, we have a, we have a heritage in, in Wesleyan tradition. And John Wesley had a number of different encounters. Um, I want to share just, just a couple briefly. Uh, on Christmas Day in 1742, he tells this story uh, about Mr. Merrick. And he says, that physician, the physician told me that he could do no more. Mr. Merrick could not live over the night. 
I went up and found them all crying about him, his legs being cold and, as it seemed, dead already. We all kneeled down and called upon God with strong cries and tears. He opened his eyes and called for me. And from that hour, he continued to recover his strength until he was restored to perfect health. I wait to hear who will disprove this fact. <laughs> and then again, at a later date, he says this. He says, I found myself much out of order. He's talking about himself. However, I made it to preach in the evening. He was scheduled to preach. And so on Saturday, my bodily strength quite failed that for several hours, I could scarcely lift up my head. I was obliged to lay down most part of the day, being easy only in that posture. Yet in the evening, my weakness was suspended while I was, while I was calling sinners to repentance. So at our love feast, which followed, beside the pain in my back and head and fever, which still continued upon me, just as I began to pray, I was seized with such a cough that I could hardly speak. And at the same time came strongly into my mind this quote, These signs shall follow them that believe. I called on Jesus aloud to increase my faith and to confirm the word of his grace. While I was speaking, my pain vanished, my fever left, my bodily strength returned, and for many weeks I felt neither weakness nor pain. Hmm. So this... These, these are two people, Origen and John Wesley, both. I would call them originally skeptics. When you read some of their earlier work, uh, they thought there's no way this could possibly be it. There's no way that God still does this. And then something happens. And this is, honestly, this is the story for so many people, right? Something happens and you go, oh, maybe I was wrong. Right? And it's the same thing that happened for me. I would have, I would have said... Those things are crazy. I mean, they happen out there somewhere, but not here, right? Not here. But the thing is, this morning, we have had these things happen here in our building. We have had God do amazing things, the miraculous things, right here in this room. And so, thankfully, our last series, our Storyteller series, I had somebody who had something happen to them uh, during worship here one time uh, record their testimony uh, for us. And so I've got that testimony for you this morning uh, as a word of encouragement. I had COVID uh, in March of 2020. Uh, ended up in the hospital with pneumonia, uh, collapsed lung, and was on oxygen for a year and two inhalers daily uh, for a year. And uh, could never take a deep breath. Uh, always loved singing. Not sure I'm good at it, but always loved singing. <laughs> but could never, never sing, really sing again because um, I could never take a deep breath. Could never finish a song. Couldn't even barely finish a sentence in, in a song. Um, and on February 27th of last year, so it's coming on a year, uh, we were singing Great is Our Lord. And there is a verse in that song that says, Your breath in my lungs and I like to visualize uh, things as I sing. And I visualized his breath 
in my lungs. And as I did that, all of a sudden my, my lungs filled with air. I took a deep breath. And from that moment on, I sang the whole entire song and the song after. And it, it felt wonderful. And from then on, I have been able to take a deep breath. And not only that, I have been able to sing um, sing every song <laughs> fully so it has been wonderful uh, so when I started in when I started into missions I used to think that that kind of stuff only happened somewhere else <laughs> because that's all that's the only place I ever saw it was somewhere else it was, it was people being delivered from demonic activity in the middle of Africa. It was uh, a blind man gaining his sight in Cuba. And it's the stories I tell over and over and over and over again because I've seen it in person. But there's something about when it hits home, when it's not just out there somewhere, but that it's here, that you have to process it differently. You have to process it differently. So, so why do I share all of this this morning? Okay, here, let me offer just a couple of points on why this matters, why it should matter to you. The first is this, miracles and healing are supposed to be a natural part of the Christian life. It's, if you think about this, this is the whole reason that we pray in the first place, right? If we didn't think that God was going to intervene into people's situations, that God could make a difference in people's lives, we wouldn't bother praying in the first place. But there's something, there's something within us that's been built in this doubt or whatever it is that's been built up in us that, that thinks like, well, when I pray for people, what I'm really hoping is that they get the right doctor, right? Or the right hospital or, or the right treatment. But you don't find that anywhere in here, right? Not to say that we don't believe in doctors and nurses and hospitals, because by all means, my goodness, all the good that has been done by them, God uses those gifts and it's amazing. What I'm saying is that, that when we pray, what's the difference between praying somebody gets better and then hoping they find the right treatment and praying they get better and just God just does it, right? It's why we pray. We're hoping God is going to intervene. What would Jesus do? He would pray and watch God work. But the second piece of this, not just that it should be a natural part of our life, Jesus expected his disciples would do these things. He expected they would pray for the sick. When he sends them out, even before the end, you rewind earlier in his ministry when he sends out the 72 praying for the sick and casting out demons was part of their part of the deal and the, the the greatest part to me because as i've already shared i don't know how all this works i just know that god is crazy powerful and does these things he doesn't ask them to understand it fully or to be able to write this this whole thesis on how it works he just told them to do it just go pray for people one of my favorite stories in the whole wide world, and, and, and whether you know of him or agree with his theology is beside the point in this moment. Uh, but there's a pastor named Todd White, and uh, he shares his story of when he started praying for the sick. And he says, man, I must have prayed for 250 people and never once did anybody get healed. But God told me I was supposed to pray for sick people, so I just kept praying for him. <laughs> and he kept praying, he kept praying, and then suddenly people were getting healed left and right. Why? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is God has told us, as Christian people, we're called to pray for the sick. We're called to pray for the hurt and those who need. 
And here's, here's, here's the, the connection I can make in my head when I read these scriptures. And when I read, especially in John, when he makes this outrageous promise, he connects it to abiding. He connects it to being close to him. Right? So what, I, what, I, what I'm finding more and more is that the Spirit brings the power when you bring the obedience. It's a hand-in-hand relationship. <laughs> right? This is, why, this is why I chose the same passage that Bobby used last week. Right? Because the disciples, they were just obedient in this story. They didn't know how to catch the fish. They had fished all night and got nothing. <laughs> but he says, well, because you say so, I'll put the nets out. I'll try again, but only because you said so. Right? So the, the disciples brought the obedience. They didn't make the fish fill the net. <laughs> the power in Jesus did that part. And I think sometimes we're just, we're too afraid to pray for other people. We're too afraid, afraid to ask for these miraculous things because we think that it relies on us, that we somehow are the healers. All we can think is, well, what if it doesn't work? What if my faith is too small? What if they aren't healed? What if, what if, what if, what if? And, our, and it, it stops us in our tracks, but we never even stop to ask, what if it does? What if I pray for somebody and they are better? <laughs> so here's the thing. I don't know. I don't know how this microphone works. I have no idea how I can speak and through some wire, my voice comes out of some speaker. I have no clue. There are people that do, I'm sure. And somebody will explain it to me later. But I don't. All right. I have no idea. But I have enough faith in this microphone every Sunday to put it on and speak into it. Why? Because I don't need to know how it works to know that it works. <laughs> I do my job and speak into it, and it does its job, and it throws my voice through the speakers. And this is what I think of when I think of prayer. You do your job, and you pray for the sick. And it's the Father, not you. It's the Father who loves these sick people way more than we could ever. The Father does the healing. He does the heavy lifting. He does the answering of our prayers. Right? And it's the same thing when we pray for our prayer list, right? We expect for God to step in. Now, uh, I know that this one, this message for some of you guys has been harder than some of the others. Because some of the others are pretty simple, right? It was Jesus teaches, we ought to be learners and teachers. All right, we can get behind that. But to say that Jesus expects me to lay hands on sick people and pray for them, woo! That's way more scary. <laughs> because if we're honest, a lot of the other stuff that Jesus asked us to do, we could do without him. I could teach a class without Jesus. We could, we could, teach, people, we could teach people the ways of Jesus without knowing Jesus. Right? I've, I, have, <laughs> I have heard the stories from friends who go to seminary and they have teachers who are, who are their seminary professors who are not even Christians. Right? Because you can read the book and you can know what he says. That's easy enough to teach it. It's easy enough to teach people how to be disciples. But there's something about this one, <laughs> praying for the sick. There's something about this one that we cannot do it by ourselves. Well, we can. We can pray for the sick by ourselves. But, but will things happen without Jesus, <laughs> without the Lord's intervention? So this one, I think, has been harder. And I, and, and I say that because I know there, there are some of you out there who are like, Pastor, I have no idea what to do with this. I know you're telling me this is what Jesus would do, but I've never done this before. 
I've never even asked somebody to pray for my healing before, yet alone prayed for a sick person. Uh, so let me, let me just, let me end with this. It's not nearly as difficult as you think it is. It's not nearly as, as tricky. There's no, despite what all the books will tell you, there's no like formula that if you just pray with these words, everything will happen as it's supposed to. It doesn't work that way. What it works is that Jesus says that if you have a mustard seed of faith and you pray, things will happen. So, so, so my encouragement to you this morning, do not make this scarier or, or more difficult than it needs to be. It is honestly super simple to pray, to take that moment and, and, and pray for someone who's in need. And it doesn't even have to be a sick person. It can be whatever need in the world. It's why, it's why we have the moment in our service where I, where I take a moment to lay hands and pray with you, all right? Because I believe that when we pray, when we take this time, God does things, things that I can't even explain, things that sometimes science can't explain. God does things when we pray. So my encouragement for you this week, when you, when you have a need, when somebody around you has a need, whether it's a, a coworker or somebody at church this morning or, or whoever it is that you know that has a need, take time to pray for them. Not, not on the side, on your own, in quiet, over in the corner. Offer to pray for somebody this week. I'm telling you, you don't get to see the cool stuff unless you take the steps of obedience. So here's what, I, here's what I want to put out there for you this morning. I want to pray. I'm going to pray for all of you. Um, and then there's, there's two specific groups I'm feeling like I want to pray for this morning. Uh, the first group is if you do have some sort of illness or, um, or struggle in your life that needs a special moment of prayer, I'd love to pray with you. All right, that's the first group. But the second group is this. If, if you've been feeling something stirring, and maybe, maybe even it's not... Uh, Maybe it's not a stir, because I know some of you are probably feeling this stir to, like, I need to be praying for the sick. How do I do that? Uh, I want to pray for you. But the other kind of stirring, I think, that in some of you is like, I don't want to do this. <laughs> right? And let's be realistic. Let's be real. All right? Some of you, that's the feeling inside. It's like, this all sounds great, and I love to celebrate when people, things happen and people pray for the sick. It's great. I don't want to do it. Right? I want to pray for you, too. <laughs> all right? Because the church is at its best. When all of us are on board and running together and doing the work God has called us to do, all right? A lot of the stories and things that I'm going to share with you later after lunch uh, about Africa and Pakistan, they all come because people pray, all right? So those are the two groups. Those are the two groups I want to pray for. I want to pray for the people who are feeling a stirring. I want to pray for those who have something going on that could use some healing prayer and hands-on prayer this morning. Um, but let me pray for all of you first. And then during this next song, if you are in either of those groups, I would love to pray for you. Let me pray. God, we're grateful. Even though we don't understand how all this works, God, we're grateful that, that you work when we pray. That there's some connection that happens, God, that... You just you do amazing things. And God, we see that in the Gospels, whether it's feeding a bunch of people miraculously or bringing back Lazarus from the dead. God, you do some of the most incredible things. And we know that you can do those things today and that you do them today. But it's a little scary to think about for us, God. So we pray for your strength and for your boldness. We pray that that this stirring that is within us to pray, 
God, that you would give us an outlet. That if there are people in our lives who need prayer, God, that they would be so obvious to us. And that in those moments we would take the time, take the boldness to do it. And so, God, we ask that during these moments as we pray together, you would be present in such a mighty way. That you would pour out your Holy Spirit in this place as we pray, as we worship, as we seek your face. God, be so present in Jesus' name. Amen.